I wonder if as we start today, we could um, have a picture of, in our minds of, I don't know if you know of the, um, the old style yoke that Jesus talks about when he says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened. And, um, you know, he's saying, put on my yoke, my yoke is easy. Uh, I'm wondering if, if we know what that looked like, where it was like, normally it would be like two, two cattle or, or um, oxen or have whatever kind of beast was working in the field would have these bits of timber clamped around each of them. And there was a hole for each of their necks to go in these bits of timber and they'd be clamped together so that they would, they would work together along, um, you know, the, the field or wh- whatever it was, wherever they were being driven to work. And, and uh, when Jesus tells us to put on his yoke, he's actually telling us um, to get in, the, in those bits of timber with him. You know, like he's on one side, we're on the other. And um, I remember someone telling me that this is one way to look at that verse and, that I, and, I, and I think that as we look at work today, we're going to talk about work, and, and as I just open with a word of prayer, I just want everyone to picture themselves, if they can, in the yoke next to Jesus, um, not in the sense that, uh, you know, we're out in the field doing difficult work, but Jesus is inviting us to go through our lives with him, with his presence next to us as an alongsider, as like the spirit of truth, you know, that John talks about or, um, in the Gospel of John chapter 14 talks about, um, you know, the, uh, the spirit of truth that is with us, you know, that, that gift of the Holy Spirit, that gift of God's presence. That's the picture I'm asking you to put in your mind. I just wanted to start with that. So let's pray with that in mind. There's an invitation today and we're thankful for it, God. We're thankful to have that invitation where no matter how weary we're feeling, no matter how burdened we're feeling, with the things that are happening in our life, the work that we've been doing, the things that have been keeping us up late, um, the things that have not been letting us get much sleep in our lives. Um, Lord, we thank you that, that alongside of us, on the, on the other end of these bits of timber, these bur- this burden that we're carrying, it's you and it's the God of the universe and it's the creator and the one who's and, and there's one who's walking beside us, God, in all of this. And we're thankful that it's you. I wouldn't want anyone else, God, but you to help me in my life, to carry me through these things. And I pray that that we would just get a picture of that, get a sense of that um, for ourselves. Um, whether it be the work we do for our family, the work we do, um, you know, in our workplace or our business, God. Could, could you help us to get a, a sense that you're there, even when it's difficult, even when we're frustrated, even when people annoy us, even when things don't work out the way they, that we thought they would, knowing that you're there. That's, that's something that's going to make all the difference today. And so I guess I'm starting at, at the end of the message today a little bit and just saying this is the goal. And I thank you for that, God. That's just such an awesome promise that you say, man, if you're, if you're weary and you're burdened today, come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll show you a good path and a good way to take. And so we thank you for that picture, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ecclesiastes series, we're, we're continuing on in that today. And um, we're moving on to chapter 2, the end, the end of chapter 2. We've already looked at part of it, but the end of chapter 2, starting at verse 17. So if you want to open up there, that's where we'll be. 
And um, it's the final section of the chapter. And the overarching topic, as I've said, is work or toil. And the NIV will have the heading, toil is meaningless, right? And so this is a pretty interesting thing. Um, throughout the book, the teacher is, of Ecclesiastes is spending all this time telling us about all of the things that he's tried to find meaning for life in. Right, and um, there's a whole list of them, and we're going to probably look at all of them, I think. But we've looked at a couple already. He, he starts out the book by saying everything. Actually, you can just say a, a blanket: everything is meaningless. That's what he says, right? And we've looked at that. Then um, the second message was wisdom. Wisdom is meaningless, right? You can you can live as wise as you like, but at the end of the day, sometimes it just doesn't work out the way that you thought it would. Right, And so we learned a little bit about that as well. Last week we looked at pleasure. You know, if you just try and, um, you know, bend your life towards just seeking out the next, the next high, you know, um, chasing the next pleasurable experience, he says, even that will fail you. That's not really the goal. Although life, you know, should be enjoyed, it's not, that's not it, you know. And so we're finding all of these things that he's doing and he's saying, hey, let me show you another thing today. And he says, it's work. We're going to look at toil. And um, that's, this, is, this is a good thing, right, for us to, to, to get a hold of or to, to listen to because every single one of us, um, in one way or another, we're affected by work, right, or toil or labour. You might not be employed by anyone at the moment. Maybe some of us are in that boat. You might be retired or semi-retired. Others might be on a pension of some sort. Some of us are volunteers, some of us are studying, um, some of us have put our career on hold to do the work of looking after our, our family or raising our children. Um, some of our, sorry, that is a lot of work. Yeah, absolutely. Some of our younger ones um, may not have started working yet. Um, there are others of us who are in the thick of our career or working life and we just feel like we're right in the, we're right in the middle of it. Day in, day out, no matter where we sit in regards to this topic of work, even if we're, you know, our work might be that we just get up and work in our garden and that's, that's, that's our life right now, you know, that sounds good, eh, Gordon? Yeah. Um, no matter where we sit in regards to this topic, I'm sure that, you know, there's something in this for every one of us, right? And I bring this up because as we start to read through our passage today, we can start to make assumptions about the type of work that he's talking about. You know, what's this toil? You know, get a picture in our mind. The picture I, I, I get in my mind is that, um, you, know, it, it, you know, it's some kind of um, blue-collar labourer with calloused hands and a bit of a bent back who's been working hard out in the sun for 50 years. You know, that's the picture I get when he talks about labour. But um, he's saying that in the end – oh, sorry – I need to turn my page this way. I've printed double-sided notes today. I never do that, but it's going to be an interesting ride. And he, and, um, he gets to the end of this, uh, you know, we, we can get to this picture of this callous labourer, you know, worked his whole life out in the field and, and we think, well, that doesn't really apply to me. This is, this is not really me and my life. I go to uni or I do this or that. And where I'm hoping to land today is no matter what work we do, no matter what our toil is, no matter what our labour is, um, whether it be yeah, in, in all of its various forms, where I'm hoping to land today is what does God say about the work that we do? 
That's, that's really the question we need to figure out. You know, and I'm not saying I'm going to give us all the answers to that either, but how does our commitment to Jesus, right? Remember, we're students of Jesus. We're disciples. We're saying he's, he's the one we're following. What does that um, have to do with the way we carry out our work, you know, encompassing everything from daily chores um, to uh, looking after the grandkids, maybe for some of us, um, right through to our nine-to-five career or business? What did God have in his heart? when he created in us the ability to work or to, um, or to do stuff, you know, to get stuff done. What was he thinking? And so I guess I'm, I'm sort of prefacing this passage that we're about to read through in Ecclesiastes because as we know, it's like we dip into the dark despair for a while and then we have to come out the other end and build a bridge to where we are now, right? So this is what we're going to do. But I just wanted to start with a few of those thoughts, knowing that the end goal for us as Christians, is to be yoked with Christ, you know, in every aspect of our life. And, um, and no doubt that the, the stronger bull or the stronger working animal would be coupled with the weaker one to, to teach it, to train it, to show them the way. And so this is our life with Jesus. And this should also be the way we approach our toil or our work or our labour, however that be. So... Let's start in chapter 2, verse 17, and let's, let's dive into the deep end again and have a listen to what our, our poor teacher is despairing over today. He says, So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Right, that's that Hebrew word, hevel, a chasing after the wind. You can't get a hold of it. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labour under the sun. For a person may labour with wisdom, knowledge and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. I remember on the work site, you know, as as a carpenter, you put all your effort into getting something right on the work site and the following tradesman comes in and just messes it up and you're just like, seriously? We got those frames perfect and look at the way they hung the plaster, you know, like that, that sort of thing. And he's saying, man, it just seems a bit, it, it makes you feel like your work was meaningless, you know. <laughs> what do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labour under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who, and and this last verse, verse 26, is kind of like a proverb that's thrown in there, right? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, right? That's like a formula. Remember, we were talking about that. (laughs) Proverbs are like formulas. To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. 
This too is meaningless, he says, chasing after the wind. So four times he's talked about that Hebrew word hevel, chasing after the wind, meaningless. And um, we've gotten to the end of another passage in Ecclesiastes, feeling a little bit depressed. And now what do we do? Where do we go from here? The first, the first thing right at the start is just let, let's have a talk about where he's coming from, right? It's kind of like confessions of a workaholic, right? I like to call these... And so he says that he hated life and the reason he gave for hating life was that he's looked at all the work under the sun. He's, ta- he's, he's gone around and he's going, gee, the end result just looks severe and painful. That doesn't make sense to me. That actually makes, makes me kind of hate life and hate my life because at the end of the day it just doesn't look right, you know. Is that really all that there is? That's got to be smoke, you know. He's like, if, if, if this is it, if it's all just about accumulating wealth, and making, um, you know, and going to work and the nine to five thing, he says, I'm handing in my resignation. <laughs> you know, that's, that's it. I'm done with that. I don't want, to, want a bar of that. I wonder if we've ever felt that way about work. You know, maybe some, sometimes in our life, this is why Ecclesiastes exists, we get to this point where you're just like, oh, man, back to work again. Why am I here? What's the point of this? You know, and you can kind of feel like, man, I hate this. <laughs> okay, so... Have you ever felt that way? He goes on to make another confession. He says not only does he hate life because of work, but he also hates all of the things that he had worked for as well. Well, that's, that's a pretty sad place to be in too. Everything that he had accumulated and came to possess in his life all became meaningless and he had hated it all. And the reason he gives us is this, one day I'm going to die. One day I'll come to the end of my life and everything that I've worked painfully hard for, I'm going to have to give it to someone else. And they haven't lifted a finger to earn any of that. It's just going to fall in their lap, he's saying. You know, what's, what's the point of that? That doesn't make sense. And he says, what makes this worse is I don't know if that person's going to treat everything that I've worked for well or not. You know, he brings up that wisdom and folly argument again. What if they're foolish? And um, I was reading in a commentary this great little story about a, a, a baron in Scotland, a very wealthy baron in Scotland who was known for his frugality, his good stewardship. He um, invested very well and he, and, he, and he created for himself quite, quite a lot of wealth. And he gets to the end of his life and gives all of his wealth over to his son, all of his money. And um, his dear son had always been fascinated with Loch Ness. Right and and this um, this animal that apparently lives you know and this monster that apparently lives in Loch Ness and so what the son does is he pursues the search for the monster of Loch Ness and he spends most of his inheritance buying a submarine, very sophisticated electronic gear to, that would try and detect things in the water, and um, he goes about trying to find Loch Ness for the rest of his life. Right, that's that's the sort of the end of the story, and one wonders what would his dear father have thought of that choice, you know, to just sort of squander away all of his all of his wealth and possessions on the search for something that may or may not exist. And this is this is what the uh, the teacher is getting at, right? He's saying, man, if if that's all that this is going to amount to, I don't know about this. <clears throat> and so the teacher continues by asking this despairing question in verse twenty-two. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labour under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. 
this too is meaningless. So as a way of really driving it home, the last couple of confessions he's made, he kind of just finishes as if shouting off the top of a mountain this despairing question, what is the point of all this anxiety and stress and sleepless nights I'm feeling if this is how it's going to end up, you know, if, if there isn't really anything to it? And he finishes the end of the passage by just popping his head out of despair a little bit and he gives us just a little glimmer of light right in the last few verses. He says, you know, at the end of the day, the best thing we can do is eat and drink and find some satisfaction in our toil, right, in our work. And he says that if we can do this, if we can find some satisfaction in our work, that will be a gift from the hand of God because without him, he says, without him, who is able to find enjoyment in what they do? And I want you to go back to that picture of yourself in the yoke with Jesus. Without him, there's no enjoyment in what we do. Without him, there's no meaning. Without, if, it's, if it's just us in the yoke, it's just a heavy burden. And it is kind of pointless. And, there, and, and it is going to make us anxious and stressed. And we're going to be weary. And we're going to have sleepless nights. But without Jesus, that's, that's, that's the end of it, okay? And so... It's, it's actually amazing in his, from his position of despair, he's kind of popped his head up out of the dark and he's kind of gotten this little glimmer of a Christian, Christian worldview. You know, he's saying, actually, at the end of the day, the best thing we can do is ask God to help us to find enjoyment in what we do. That's, that's actually a good thing. And that might be a, be a little bit of application for some of us today. God, what's the good thing about my work? You know, what, what difference does your presence in my workplace make to me, you know, and to the people around me? What does it mean that you're there? How does that change our attitude? So now that we've felt the full force of the teacher's thoughts about work and toil and labour under the sun and the meaninglessness of it all, now we're going to try and build a bit more of a bridge back to the end goal, which is unity with Christ, being united with him in all that we do in our life. So... Where he talks about finding satisfaction or enjoyment in our work, he's trying to say, um, you know, it's this idea that the best thing we can do is make ourselves see the good in our work, right? So where it says um, in the ESV, that verse says finding enjoyment in our work. The best thing you can do. We can do nothing better than find enjoyment in what we do. I looked at the notes in the ESV Bible and he says, and it says make ourselves see the good, Make ourselves see good in what we do. And I think, um, and, and he says, without Jesus, you can't do this. Without God, you can't do this. And I thought, man, that's a pretty, um, that's, a, that's an interesting little thing to remember. Without God in our life, you know, the work, the people that we go to in our workplace or, you know, the family that we're, that we're trying to support, it all kind of seems pointless without God in it. And so that's like a little clue. Colossians 3 um, verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. So again, when God's presence is there, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving, right? So again, when, when God is in it, when God's in our workplace, when we see him there, when we see him in our lives, in, our, in the labour that we do, it makes a difference. That's a different perspective on our work than just uh, it doesn't make sense. We're going to have to give everything we accumulate over to others. But when God's in this, there's a difference there. You might be a carpenter, 
right, who builds houses for a living. Actually, I know that none of us are actually carpenters, right, but I'm just using that because I know it. You might be a carpenter who builds houses for a living and you get by really well doing that, make plenty of money, you know, it's, it, and um, what I think about that is Jesus isn't interested really in how much money you're making, how many houses you're building every year, um, but I think Jesus is interested in, you know, how you're treating your apprentice who comes to work every day and helps you, do, helps you accomplish your work. You know, that's the type of thing where if Jesus was next to me in the yoke as a carpenter, he'd be saying, hey, you make sure you treat that kid well, you know. That, that person's life is important. And this is a little clue as to how we might find some, find some value in our work, find some meaning in our work. I wonder if Jesus asked me to build him a house. Would I, would I build that house differently to the way I build a house for my clients? You know, this is the type of question we might ask about our work. What if Jesus was the one you're working for? You know, what if he was the one, he was your colleague? You know, what difference would it make that his presence is there? Jesus wants to know if you're making the most of the opportunities your work provides you to show people a life that follows him. You know, if in your, in your workplace, in your chores, in your caring for your family, in, in all of the toil that you do, in the things that keep you up late at night, you know, worrying about, Jesus wonders um, if you're doing all that you can to show people a life that is connected to him and united to him in the yoke. You might find that one of your colleagues needs help moving on the weekend, you know. <laughs> Oh, I can I can help you out with that. I've got a Ute or whatever. I can I, I'd love to hire a trailer and come for the day and just help you move boxes or whatever it is. You might find one of your employees is going through a tough time, and so you go the extra mile. See what see what help you can offer them. You know, can I can I at the least take you out for coffee and just encourage you? You know that type of thing. When we when we start to have this perspective on our work, that the people there, because Jesus is all about relationships, the people that are there. Is, is, is why maybe why God has put you there, you know, more so than the work or the, the need for money or whatever it is. All of a sudden we find something meaningful within the bounds of our work. I'd say these type of things are things that create um, energy for us in our career as well. I remember listening to um, a favourite preacher of mine called Steve Deneff. He's a Wesleyan guy in America and um, he describes this idea um, with a fair level of creative license that what happens if we get to heaven after a long life of toiling and labour and we walk through the pearly gates and, um, and Jesus says, oh, you know, Scott, you did a, you did a good job. You know, um, say, say I was a carpenter for my life, built plenty of houses. I'm so glad you're here because we could really use your help. We've got some houses to be built here in heaven, <laughs> you know, and then for the rest of eternity, my job that I had here on earth was actually my job in heaven. And, um, and all of a sudden, that's going to change the way I view my work now. <laughs> and Jesus is there and he's saying, yeah, you're working for me now up here and um, this is how it's going to work. And so our eternal rest is actually this idea that maybe, like, do you see what I'm saying? How would this change the way you view your work if our workplace was redeemed and was actually in heaven? <laughs> You know, what attitude would change about the people that are there and the, and the way that we go about our work? I felt um, a fair bit of conviction about that because I think most of the time we're thinking, man, 
get me out of this place. This is not, um, you know, I, I can't wait to get to heaven. I won't ever have to do anything again. But, you know, I can't give you a reference or verse for that idea. But, <laughs> but what, what if, you know what I mean? What if? That's, the, uh, that's a, something to help us think about our work. How would you do things differently if Jesus was your employer? What would it look like if Jesus was your colleague or your employee? How would it look to you? Um, how would it look if you sought to add value to the other people there because of that? I want to finish off um, just by coming to, I guess, a way of response. We've talked about a lot of things to do with work and I want us to reflect on our own workplace now or the work that we do, whether it be in our garden or helping out, volunteering, helping out a friend, all the different ways that we, that we can do work. I want us to reflect on that. And some of us might be thinking, actually, my work is just really just plain tough right now and it is a battle and I'm, and I'm not sure if there's much meaning in it. That might be some of us and the, the situation we're in is stressful and it's causing lots of anxiety and the burden seems too much and I want to just say, um, today Jesus has an invitation Come to him, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. You know, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so, yeah, let's, let's close in prayer. Um, I want to invite you to respond however it is that you need to respond today. There might be someone in your workplace that God's putting on your mind that you need to connect with or reach out to, show love to. Um, yeah, let's, let's pray. Lord, thanks for the challenge of work. Thank you for the way that you um, invite us to work with you. Thank you that you're actually in our workplace and that you're um, helping us every day. I pray for those of us who have sleepless nights over our work, um, those of us who are, who are not sure how we're going to get through the, the coming year with our business or whatever it is. Um, Lord, I pray that they would know that you're with them and that that would actually make a difference. Maybe, maybe they might, um, maybe, maybe today we're just thankful that Jesus was with us all through last year and he got us to where we are now because we're yoked with him. Maybe that's just a, a way of responding. Lord, would you just help us to to give our work to you? We want to commit our lives and and the things that we pour ourselves into to you that um, even after we're gone, you know, the effects of our work, the purposeful stuff that we do within our workplace would would stay on, that there'd be be, uh, eternal significance to it. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen.